You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, the podcast that goes beneath the surface of music and tech. This is Dimitri Vitsa, co-host of the podcast and also the CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music innovation PR firm. And I'm also your co-host, Trister Neer Jaeger, Director of Strategy at Rock, Paper, Scissors. Today we're joined by Angela Abbott of Tidal, the music streaming service now part of Block. Angela has over six years of experience in a business affairs and music licensing space. Prior to Tidal, she was on the music licensing team at Pandora and Sirius XM, where she successfully negotiated and managed high-value digital partnerships with folks like Warner Music Group and Empire. She also plays a vital role as a leader in women in music. And thanks to all of this, Angela has a remarkably incisive view of the state and potential of listening experiences and music innovation, and that's why we're excited to, sh- to get to share it with you. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Welcome. Thank you. I'm <laughs> happy to be here. Well, first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at Tidal and what exactly you do? Excellent. Well, I work on the music licensing and business affairs team. I would say uh, it's part of the legal function at Tidal uh, or Block and that entire ecosystem. So we're, you know, in the midst of kind of merging that all together. Uh, That team is responsible, the team I'm on, we're responsible for commercial deal terms, streaming strategy, you know, label and partner management. Uh, I'm personally focused on major labels and publishing. And I also work really closely internally with cross-functional teams uh, as well as externally industry facing, of course. It's you. This is very, very deep inside the how all of this works and how everything comes together in the music business. How exactly did you get to this highly technical yet highly relationship based world? How did you get into music licensing in short? It's a crazy story that would probably be a podcast all on its own. So I'll try to summarize here quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad actually worked for Tower Records and my mom uh, back in the 70s and 80s. They were responsible for opening the stores all up and down California. So it was kind of in my blood from the get go. I didn't think that you could get into music business in the digital sense when I was going to college. So I did not choose that path at first. I actually was an executive recruiter. And I got a I got a break with a gal who had her own firm in Silicon Valley back in 99 and 2000s. So I was part of the retained executive search firms that would go to the, the AOLs, the Yahoo's, the Ebay's of the world and actually sit with the VCs and scope out their organizational design um, and hire those C-level executives. So I always say it's kind of an interesting cross section of where I'm at now in negotiations with licensors. I've learned a lot about the digital side um, in kind of tapping into some of those past experiences. I made a transition, a career transition when I left Google as an executive recruiter and came to Pandora first and then um, got my first break there when I delivered a a well-known artist to our live stream booth at South by Southwest. And the leader of that team asked if I would, you know, consider switching careers, which I was looking to do. So, um, yeah, very exciting. I started in the music licensing team at Pandora and then made the move to Tidal. So it was a roundabout way, but. Were you volunteering at South by? How did you deliver an artist? (laughs) (laughs) I literally 
you know, I was on the recruiting team and I asked if I could go to recruit talent and I got a no. Um, so I actually took some time off. This is good for career development folks yes. who don't know how to transition. And I went kind of self-funded it. And then I actually met two shorts management team in the lobby. And when I went to the Pandora activation, Jay Boogie, who was our hip hop curator at the time was live streaming and Anderson Pack was backstage. And they said, gosh, you know, could you deliver him right now? Because that would be such a cool moment, like backstage for them. And then also like get too short on the live stream. And I thought, well, I probably can. And so, you know, texted the team and next thing you know, they were in the alley waiting to get let in. And he was on the, the live stream after that. That's Fun fantastic. Stuff. I love how music always pulls you back in. <laughs> I've had some fun times at Pandora House at uh, at South by Southwest. <laughs> Everybody has, yeah. Yeah. So let's get into your perspective a bit in terms of the state of streaming music, because there's a lot to talk about. There's talk of everything from an attention recession to declines in personal spending, but there have also been upgrades to music market growth predictions, which is exciting in this crazy time. How do things look from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I do consistent research, whether it's reading media reports or talking to the labels, the major labels, um, also look at competitive, you know, Intel and articles. And I mean, I think there is still some growth to be had. I really do. I think that the predictions are accurate, perhaps maybe in the, you know, high single digits year over year. Um, I think that as long as we continue to innovate around how people are consuming this content, also the other side, how artists, songwriters, producers get access to better tools and kind of that intersection uh, with also kind of enabling this, you know, empowering monetization scheme. I think that, of course, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be growth. That's good to hear. <laughs> We're in the music industry. We'd love to hear it. <laughs> I, I, one thing you'll know about me is I'm very enthusiastic and optimistic. I think yes. that we're based on some kind of historical legacy models that have to shift with the times. And, you know, that's we're, we're seeing it. It's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you have so much conversation about um, what's going on in the market right now, market corrections or potential recessions, so forth. I don't want to feed any of that fire, but also, you know, there's some realities out there too. But there's also this sense that something different is happening in the music industry than other parts of the economy, which is um, kind of interesting to, to think about as well. And it's and for us, also being in the music industry, it's it, it's, it provides a lot of hope for, for where things can go. But it's interesting to hear also what are the inputs to those inputs of more tools, more access, more monetization, opportunities as well to grow it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we just saw, uh, you know, we're seeing Q2 earnings results come out. So there's a ton of press around new business models and people okaying new business models, especially at the majors. I think that's a big shift. Obviously, this intersection of, you know, social media and digital streaming and artist tools. I mean, I think, there's a giant pool of opportunity there um, to really shift how we support the artist, songwriter, producer, you know, put them on level playing field, get them more engaged, help them actually have careers in the space. Um, 
and also I think just on the note of, you know, uh, potential recession and, you know, just things like that. I obviously I'm a realist. Um, but I think if you, if you go back to kind of the pandemic and the nostalgia that people started to connect to right with music, there was a big, you know, there was a little increase in vinyl, right. And back to physical, I think there is, you know, these TV series, we were consuming more content at home, right? So you think about the world of sync, uh, you know, and how all of these catalog placements kind of happened through that type of consumption. So I think that, and, and then live streaming, who could forget live streaming? So I think that there's ways that people will continue to connect. How that connects to streaming revenue specifically, I think is really important. And while it might be a small pool now, whether it's sync schemes or, you know, clips, like creative clip schemes, like new licensing schemes is what I'm talking about. Those increase in revenue. I think those are ways to increase revenue. Again, small now, but I think there, you know, there's ancillary income to be had. Can we dive into that a little deeper, if, if you don't mind? I think it'd be really interesting to hear from your perspective, Angela, as someone who's really deep in music licensing. What are some factors, some new dynamics, some new ideas or discussions you've been hearing that promise to shake up the status quo? Like what's really changing that not everyone might be aware of yet? On the actual business model side well, or specific or music, yeah. like you mentioned clips, you mentioned some of these like shorter form um, oh, sure. things like talk, talk a little bit more about that if you could. Yeah, I mean, I think this kind of goes back to the first thing I was saying, which is, you know, we have to evolve and we have to match these sort of revenue opportunities with the people with the way that people are consuming the content. So uh, I guess a good example is like, and, and maybe this is a little bit further out and we'll get to it, but an example is, you know, there's the utility way of consuming music, which is, you know, I'm having a dinner party. I build a playlist. I put on my service of said choice. And then there's sort of this, you know, interactive engagement model where it's like, I want to work out on the Peloton and there's a Harry Styles album debut, like, that's a very unique way of consuming an album and listening to content for the first time for someone who's really busy and it's being consumed differently in a different type of streaming model. Then of course we've got social media, like obviously the one that comes to mind is this UMG meta deal, uh, you know, and this rev share cut between UGC content uh, and, and users being an 80, 20, 80, 20 split going to the user and then the 80% going back to Meta and UMG. Um, you know, I think that's a really fascinating model. I think obviously there's the, the, the user centric model, which, uh, you know, Warner or, or and fan powered royalties. I mean, these are all different models that are really being challenged and they're really, or being kind of brought to the forefront as a challenge to legacy business models. And I think, you know, not only is it interesting to see how DSP's strategy or a label or publisher strategy changes, it's also going to be interesting to see how the creator strategy changes. I think that's where we're going to really see whether these are successful or not. Because as we all know, even if label A doesn't like a business model, but that's the future, if labels B, C, D, you know, and 
publisher XYZ are on board, like there has to be some some change. Yeah, super, super interesting. Um, yeah, short form video wasn't a thing until it was a thing. And then once it was a thing and they're clearly going to use music, you know, there becomes an opportunity, especially as there's growth there. It'll be interesting to see what other formats emerge that we can't even envision yet. Yeah, actually, and sorry, Trisha, back to your point and the clips. It's like when you think about creative concept formats, whether it's hosted radio shows or, you know, podcasts and this intersection of like, how do we license music in podcasts? Like, you know, or I, I love that everyone uses, you know, fair use, quote unquote, but you know, in a license, in, in the world of a licensing person, there's, there's, that's rarely the case. So I think thinking about those licensing schemes of how we can pay equitably and fairly for the use, right? That takes a very complex content operational and rights system. It's something I harp on constantly. And, um, you know, I think that will provide more opportunities for these sort of the, the monetization of snippets or different creative types of um, content makeups. Cool. All right. Well, Angela, we're going to take a quick break. It's it's great getting into the details and kind of the nitty gritty of the industry. And we've got more to come. I want to ask you a little bit about the connection between streaming and other ways in which that that kind of fans out. And I'll ask you about that when we get right back. Does your company belong at the center of the conversation about music, tech, and innovation? Listen, you should consider sponsoring the Music Tectonics Conference. It takes place in person October 25th through the 27th, 2022, in the Music Tech Hub of Los Angeles. Top-tier sponsorships are selling fast, but we still have a spot for you, whether your business is a hungry startup or an industry leader already. Every sponsorship level comes with an exhibitor booth at the Lowe's Santa Monica Beach Hotel on October 26th, the main conference hub for keynotes and panels. Your company will be at this epicenter of music, tech, and innovation throughout the event. That's just one perk of being a sponsor at Music Tectonics. You could be a guest on this podcast or even play a role in conference programming. Interested? Let's talk. Go to musictectonics.com to start the conversation with our contact form. And now, back to the show. Okay, we are back. And Angela, like I said, I wanted to ask you, what connections are music streaming services like Tidal hoping to make with other music-centric environments or contexts in the future? Will streaming become more than a closed platform for listening to music? I hope so. I mean, that's definitely one of the reasons I. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the reasons I joined Title. I mean, without speaking specifically to our future, you know, product plans, I can say that I think people are ready, you know, for these shifts in how we connect artists and helping, you know, provide them economic empowerment and how we connect fans and give them what they're looking for in an in engagement experience. So, you know, the past few years have definitely taught us a lot um, about fans. You know, they'll stream from their phones, their TVs, you know, they, they may have missed an experience from their favorite artists out in the open. So there are these kind of ancillary ways of listening to music. Um, I think connecting the dots between that streaming experience, between, for, in that streaming experience between artists and fans is really important. 
this is a decade. I mean, if you want me to talk about a few of the trends in my mind of where this is going. Yeah, would yeah, would love to hear that. Okay, great. I think it's a decade of cool partnerships. We're always seeing consolidation and either lack of resources in product engineering or perhaps fatigue. And this is not title centric. I'm just saying in the industry in general, you know, and so I think you're always seeing these people, these amazingly brilliant people come up. And this is why I love working with you, Dimitri, and, and, and your firm and, you know, attend all of your roundtables. It's like, I'm always fascinated by the new products or interfaces that someone's come out with that does connect the dots in this space. So I, I'm really excited to see some cool partnerships come out of that. Um, I think, again, really thinking about the connection of fans and artists and how to help fans get these cool new experiences, but also how to help the artists sort of micro monetize these, these experiences. Yeah. It's interesting, like pre the success of streaming or in the early days of this, there were some open APIs that allowed music to mash up with other types of experiences, you know, collaborative DJing that was happening or just any kind of online DJing for that matter. Um, and um, just interesting kind of like social listening experiences. They kind of, I think as the, the licensing kind of shored up, it kind of had to tighten up that because the licenses weren't available for every type of interaction or experience. And of course the interfaces for somebody that's just a company that's just trying to get the business model to work with subscription and, and licensing, it's not always easy to create an interface for every possibility that that's there. But I'm interested to see now that there's a more of an acceptance among the the industry and the rights holders of um, these, you know, uh, next level digital experiences, whether we'll start to see that open back up again, but in a way that's sustainable financially and that protects the the IP of, of rights holders. Yeah, I think I, I I mean I agree completely. It'll be a really fascinating thing to watch. I think you know it's been interesting to watch a company like Spotify who has so many resources kind of be, you know, first at the gate on a lot of interesting features. Um, but I don't, I don't know if you feel this way. I, I see them and I kind of interact with them and then I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's, you know, that one's for me. What I'm interested in is this ecosystem where you have a Spotify, you have, you know, you have an Apple, you have a title, you have a Pandora and they all kind of serve as different functions. But how do we streamline those experiences for the end user and the artist? And I think that's something that, you know, hardware, like you said, interfaces, you know, these different types of kind of tech companies can help, you know, think through. I think sub-licensing catalog on an open API is a really interesting concept. I hope that it's something that, you know, we can get, you know, labels to buy into because we're set up, again, title or the industry, any fill in the blank on any DSP is set up operationally to, you know, kind of execute on these types of experiences where the labels may own the content and the publishers and the, you know, the, there's all these different use cases that are already set up from a legacy perspective, but they're not set up operationally in the way that the DSPs and the tech companies are. It's, it's really interesting to consider, too, what that, you know, 
end experience would be for users, for for music fans? I, I actually don't like saying users because I think, you know, we, that misses the point of exactly why people uh, listen to Tidal, subscribe to Tidal, etc. But, you know, what are what are what do you think the in, that consumer music experiences are going to be like as hopefully some of this licensing, um, the, the licensing attitude that's changed so much with the sort of underpinning of, of an, an acceptance of different models that aren't quite as you know big and and massive and maybe would have more of that um small scale or open api kind of feel like what are we going to unlock are we going to finally be able to get to some of these more interactive moments or or um listeners as creators like what kind of experiences do you see uh being made possible by some of these changes in licensing Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think when you look at the future and kind of connect the dots on some of the things I've been talking about, it's definitely listeners, you know, as as creators, as hosts, I think it's obviously, you know, uh, creators like having the opportunity to engage with their fans in these kind of behind the scenes moments or these kind of other content moments on platform. I think there's a way to kind of delineate. I I think we have to bring the value of music back up. Okay. So I think we have to think about how can we add features for the super fans so that we can pay equitably to all, you know, of the rights holders, including the creators. And I think, you know, whether that's an all a, a full stop shop of, we've got merch and we've got tickets and we've got a behind the scenes and we've got, you know, a filter that you can social share, or we've got this, you know, cool music podcast we did with them or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think there's just different ways that we're going to have to unlock those in, in, you know, on the platform, but also connecting the dots between the platforms. Like when you think about my earlier example of you walk out the front door, you get in the car you know, you're listening to one thing and then you go to the gym, you're listening to something else and then you come home and you're, you know, you're cooking dinner, you're listening to something else. I think that hardware sort of device connectivity, um, you know, and being able to kind of streamline what you want to hear when you want to hear is an interesting idea. The idea of like ambient music, I mean, meaning like ambient computing, not <laughs> Brian Edo, um, is really, really intriguing. And yeah, as a, as, a, as a mad music listener, I think that would be really fascinating. Anyway, that might segue into uh, your next question, Dimitri. <laughs> yeah, so we like to push it even further, Angela. When we have future thinkers like you, we like to get sci-fi. Pew, 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 pew. Um, <laughs> how do you imagine people listening to or interacting with music further out, say 10 or more years from now? Yeah, I think one of the things that we saw during the pandemic, and I hate saying this, but it's true, is just how connected people were to music, right? It's a mood enhancer and it's great. It's great to watch it over the screen. It's great to, I I attended this one live stream that was amazing where it was like, of course, I'm going to forget who, uh, what the tech was, but it, it was sort of like all the computer screens in the venue with the artist so they could see everyone's reaction at once. Oh, nice. So like when I think about the future, I think about, okay, well, yeah, what if I don't want to go to a crowded small venue, but, you know, I want to attend that concert or, um, you know, I, I want to maybe 
be backstage, you know, but obviously like the artist doesn't want 50 people backstage. So like, where are those moments where you can sort of digitally tap in, um, you know, but not physically be there? I also think this idea of high end audio experiences is really interesting. I think that, you know, you see these kind of uh, high res audio bars in that start in Japan. There's now there's one in Oakland that a friend from Pandora actually ended up opening, which is really cool. It's called Bar Shiro. And I think those list, those types of listening experience will continue to evolve. You know, because I do think there's community in music, like at the root of it. Um, so while we can be, you know, as fast paced tech driven as we want to be, it's really like, how do you engage? Is it that social share mechanism that you said, Dimitri? Or is it like, well, I'm a high end audio snob. So like, I only want to listen to it in this like cool room that someone created, right? With visuals attached to it. Like, what are these experiences? You know, are there kits that you can buy that you can, you know, buy one size fits all for your home. That's like a projector screen and, you know, the hardware and the speaker and, you know, so I think just thinking about like how people take that in, it's very sensory. Um, that's what, that's what I feel like it looks like. Are, are those bars live music or they're like recorded music listening rooms? They're it's vinyl. And so it's actually, oh, yes. yeah, it's all, it's all about the hardware and audio equipment that matches the vinyl sound. It's yeah. Cool. And, and, and even I think the, the interior design in terms of getting the right materials, like wood and other things that are really resonant and different. And you're, you know, there's sort of etiquette about when you can talk and when you can't, which I think is really, really awesome. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of some of these like special artistic experiences that you can have. I mean, there's a lot of these like pop-up Instagram houses where you can go and get shots in these really interesting artsy rooms or whatever, or you have like really extreme artistic stuff like the city museum in St. Louis, or what's that place in New York now? It's one of the, 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 the places you go really high up to see a view, but now they have like mirrors on the ceilings and glass floors. And so you have that kind of experience or like Meow Wolf or, you know, all these kinds of places, but none of them are specifically musical or audio driven. Yeah. Where's the audio driven city museum? (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) Another thing, another point, another point that I love that you made, Angela, is that the sort of, you know, the community getting together with friends, with kindred spirits, um, you know, they could be strangers too. And we've seen an interesting um, sort of use case with that or case study with that with a a client of ours, Amaze VR, who's brought together uh, people to watch, you know, Megan the Stallion perform in VR. And these are young people. These are people who may not, you know, they can't afford a $500 ticket to a festival. They're getting together with their friends and they're going crazy. They're just in like a regular movie theater with a a headset strapped on, but they're absolutely losing their minds together. And it's a, another, it's kind of like flips the script a bit with technology that it's not people getting together in a virtual way. It's people getting together around a virtual experience. And I found that really interesting. I actually may or may not have, uh, you know, gotten a phone call from someone over there on how <laughs> I might, uh, you know, approach the label uh, on certain things. Okay, cool. I hope I didn't uh, <laughs> make you tumble. No, I'm a big, my point. My point is, I'm a big fan of theirs, yeah. and so when when I got when I got the phone call, I was like, 
here's what I would do. You know? so, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, They're okay. awesome. Awesome. I, well, I got one more for you, Angela. I was, when, when, when all those hologram experiences started coming up where, you know, somebody's, somebody's coming on stage, maybe posthumously or whatever. I said, like, when the hologram can be on your kitchen table and your friends come over to watch the concert at your house, that's when the hologram like reaches its point. That's a kind of a, a music experience that I'm looking forward to. I, I'm going to take it a step further. I think if it's Rick Astley and you can Rick roll someone out of your house oh my gosh. at the end of the night, the closet. Yeah, I love you're it. like, boom, here it is. It could be open the door yeah. and boom, there's Rick Astley. Yeah, party and a party ender instead of like flipping on the lights and putting on Barry Manilow. No offense, Barry Manilow fans, but that's what we used to do in my generation. But you, you, you'd had just the virtual Rick Astley would come dancing out. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> awesome. This is great. We have to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we'll close out with some other uh, kind of tips and shoutouts that you've got. We'll be right back. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, we're back. Uh, Tristra, over to you. Yeah, let's close out with some shout outs. Now, this is sort of a speed round and, you know, kind of say whatever comes to mind, a little bit of a Rorschach test. Um, what are some cool companies in the music tech space that you're keeping an eye on or that you love reading news about? There's two right now, Breaker Nation. I don't know if you guys know Felicia Brooks, but that's a really cool company. They are basically creating like a feedback loop and a virtual team for artists who can't afford to hire a team and providing opportunities for interns in the process so that yes, they can go get a job. Yeah, so they can go get a job in music. I love I love that concept. Uh, and single music. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, another platform or infrastructure, I should say, that you could imagine you could layer into a lot of different environments and create kind of a one-stop shop uh, and also counts towards charts for artists. So big fans of those. Excellent. That's cool. Yeah. Love both of those companies. Um, here's another one. Who are some thought leaders that you like to tap into? Maybe some folks that our listeners might need to check out. Uh, yes, I would say, I mean, I can't help but shout out the folks that I've learned a lot from in this game. So Juana Rixandra over at Warner, Brian Stone at UMG, uh, John Dworkin, like I, I just love the business affairs teams at the at the major labels. I know it's controversial. <laughs> not, not it's controversial. I love it. But you know what? Like, they're you got to you got to know where their heads at. So, um, and then you know Jeremy at Merlin. Yeah, lot, lots of lots of great things I've learned from these people. And what are some of your favorite music industry events? Well, I love music biz, obviously. Um, it's, you know, it's kind, it's kind of a lot. It was a lot going back this year, but it was so productive. I almost think they, we need like a, a six month check-in after music biz, but, um, I love, yeah, I love the Grammys and songwriter hall of fame. I mean, obviously songwriter hall of fame to me is like probably one of the best experiences. Um, and then music tectonics, of course, in, in October yes. in Santa Monica. I, I honestly, this is where I like met some of my favorite people who work in music. So 
Well, excellent. And and we met. I met you at a conference initially, and uh, I'm super happy that you've stayed in touch and been a part of the Music Tectonics community. It's been great having you on the podcast. Um, great to, to pick your brain a little bit here and excited to uh, to continue our conversations and all our online events at conferences and so forth. Thanks so much, Angela. Thanks yeah, so no much. Problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know? You can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.